Hey guys, Lane here. Normally I don't like to brag at all, but yeah, I just wanted to highlight a few of these recent closings that we had. We sold off a lot of these Class C properties that were a little bit of a headache to deal with. Some of the, the properties didn't cash flow initially, which is pretty common with Class C collections up and down, but yeah, it sold 114 unit in Atlanta. We 100% return investors capital two and a half years, crazy. Uh, another one in Huntsville, we sold 70 unit there. Again, another Class C for 108% return in three years. Cut bait early on another Class C where we 26% return in two years. And then in addition to a Chattanooga property, Class C, and almost 100% there in three years. Now, to say that it was a lot of hard work and dedication, but quite frankly, we didn't rehab all the units. We didn't take it the full business plan. Yet we felt like it was prudent to cut bait uh, with these great returns already. And investors punt to the next deal. They keep the good times rolling. But yeah, a lot of good things are happening. I think especially in Huntsville, it's one of it's the best tertiary market out there, emerging markets. If you watch my monthly reports, Sunay just did a report of top emerging markets and it's on there. So a lot of the first investors, we have one today, we have a coaching call. This client has been with me for quite a while. We're going to call him the Hui OG investor, Mike. But yeah, starting to see the successes come through and people's lives are changing doing this stuff. It's not only the deals, but it's the holistic tax and legal asset protection. And how do you move money around and also lifestyle changes, such as not buying your house to live in. Renting for a lot of us makes sense. Granted, those people who aren't listening to this podcast don't really have interest in personal finances and financial freedom, they should go probably go buy their house because it's a for savings account. But you guys are different, right? So hopefully you guys enjoy this uh, podcast with a current investor of ours. And uh, yeah, if you guys uh, want to build a relationship with us, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we have another exciting coaching call with an OG of the Huido Pipeline Club, Mike, here. We'll call him Mike because that's how people know him as. But yeah, credit investor in several deals. We'll talk about that. But I think today's call is not really on the basics, but where do we go from here now that we have proof of concept? But Mike, why don't you give people a quick overview on yourself? What do you do for work? Just so people can get a little context. Sure. Currently, I'm a construction manager with the city of Seattle. I have a civil engineering background, did the consulting thing for a little while, but have been working as a government project manager for about six years now been doing real estate investing since 2017 started with two turnkey rentals in the birmingham area and then along the way i think i'm up to six or seven syndications with lane and yeah just trying to see what the next steps are here for me yeah so i think when you came in in 2017 your original goal was to buy some rental properties what was your net worth like 600 or something or 500? I don't know. Around there, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. In what? Under four years, you almost 2x that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm just looking million dollar net worth in terms of salary and income. You're another frugal guy. So you're able to put away 
40 grand or so to investments every year. So just giving some people some context here. Again, if you guys are listening to this in podcast form, you guys can go to the YouTube channel where we have this displayed. Also club members get access to all of these investor calls or investor coaching calls. Sign up for the club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And you can watch all these. And I arrange all these coaching calls based on net worth. So you guys can quickly fall into where you're at so you can watch what's perfect. But help us out, Mike, for the new guys. You went to the whole entire genesis, right? You started with turnkeys. Take us back to that point. Some of the takeaways for a few years after that. Yeah, to be honest, it, it really mirrored your journey. I definitely piggybacked on all the training that you took, all those networking opportunities that you did, jumping on with the turnkey providers that you found in, in the Birmingham area. Made it really easy because you had been there before. And I just decided... I couldn't keep doing the same thing and expecting the same result. And I also had my son in 2016. So that was kind of my Han Solo moment, as you say, find a way to increase my income to get more time to spend with him. So along the way with the two turnkeys and then seeing these syndications starting to, to pan out, my wife's been able to leave her job and spend her time with our son as he's about to start kindergarten. Yeah, it freaking worked, huh? <laughs> So you, you jumped on a few of these deals with a couple of these, yeah, two of them cashed out for you, your money. So that probably makes the missus very happy. Yeah. It was nice to see that 40, 15 return of capital come back and we're looking forward to what to do with the, the distribution. How, how did you guys manage your guys' finances prior? Like, did, did she give you some sort of like allowance or allocation to do this crazy stuff with in the beginning? And that changed her. I do most of the finances in my family. I think it was a real, as you said, we're very frugal. It's very tough for us to spend a dollar. It's not essential. But I guess along the way, just showing the math of what we're putting in and what we're getting out on a month by month basis has been helpful. Using a lot of the graphics that you show in that Sankey diagram that kind of unlocked everything that really broke the dam and getting us able to be comfortable with doing the syndications slowly building them up and just increasing that that extra cash buffer and savings and then as as it progressed throughout the years you got more and more investable capital that you can touch yeah yeah a lot of it is from my day job that is where i get the bulk of my savings from i'm a little conservative with the rental properties i don't really pull much in terms of profit i just keep building up that stash in case something goes wrong with them. But yeah, at least with the multifamilies, I feel like that's been able to start compounding here. So are you a non-incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. AHP collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. 
you can start investing with as little as 100 bucks. And if you want a free burn zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to hpservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. One thing I know you guys did, if you guys you can help out people, is the whole do you rent or do you buy? I'm a big proponent for renting. I rent. You had to talk your spouse into doing this crazy idea of not buying, but maybe if you can help out the poor souls that need to do the thing too. Um, I, and I think for you, it was harder because you, it's not like you didn't have investable funds, but when we sat down and outlined it, it makes so much sense. So it's there. I was lucky enough to ride the appreciation wave from 2011 to 2016. My wife and I owned a condo in North Seattle and we, you know, we sold it for more than double than what we paid for it. So that was pretty much our equity that we used to invest in first the turnkeys and then the first batch of um, syndications. So where, where most, most spouses would probably chop your head off if you took that <laughs> money and buy a house, a bigger house to live in. That's the status quo. Yeah. That's exactly what the traditional plan was. So it really was a long road to get to renting and then using money from the sale of the property, that equity to start investing. And it's, it's starting to really come home to roost right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you sold that and you got what, 300 grand on uh, that stuff? After all the closing costs and whatnot, we cleared about 250. And did you invest all that 250 or <laughs> what was the deal within the household that you could invest? I think along the way we have been wanting to get a, a primary residence again, but I asked her, let's rent for a little while. We're, we're not tied to anything and just give me a, a little bit of time and let's see how this goes. And at any point, if it doesn't seem like it works, we'll sell these turnkeys. I'll stop investing in these multifamilies. We've been able to see proof of concept and this will be our fourth year renting now. And so there still is the itch to buy a primary residence, but at the same time, we haven't completely shut the door on, on renting. Yeah. But I'm looking here I mean, you're still able to put away 40 plus grand a year to investments. The syndications are starting to cash out. You're going to have more investable funds. Now the, it again comes into play, right? If you got to make a new deal or are you thinking about getting a new home to live in? Cause I'm a little bit more, yeah, if you, maybe if you want to, you could at this stage, cause you, you put in the three, four years of delay gratification. And at what point I know personally, I probably will never, I don't want to say never, but I like renting and it's a lot cheaper than buying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we're just trading one thing for another, but there's always the thought in the back of our head, whatever our landlord's plans change from year to year. Now that we have our son, we've got a lot of stuff in the closets that I'm not really looking forward to moving. And I really want to get him into a, a good school district. So that's the main thing. It's just the stability is what we're looking for now. And I know I don't have to be a, a homeowner forever, but for me, it's the stability for the family and the yeah. school district. It, and I know I, I talk to people, I know they, they, people who've moved multiple times in their life and their parents have come back late and said, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I moved from this town to that town, moved you from this school to that school. And you know, the kids are growing up. They're like, I didn't even know, like that was just used to that. But just for me, my own wanting to be what I feel like is a good parent. That's I guess my number one. Yeah. If you could keep moving at this space in 15 years, you can buy your kid a Dodge Viper. It doesn't all will be forgiven before it's 21. <laughs> that was my, that was what my mom was trying to 
get me to do the stay at UH. I'll buy you whatever car you want. And then, so just, I actually just moved myself too recently. And the movers costed me a thousand bucks, but I boxed up everything. And I was like, my God, that's the last time I'm ever going to do that. But our other buddy is a mover. And he said, yeah, you just tell them to come to your house and pack up all your stuff for you. Yeah. Uh, you mm-hmm. probably want to take your wife's underwear with you separately, <laughs> but they'll do it for two or three. Grand. So, you know, it's just money and you're saving so much money every month anyway. And you're growing your money so much more. And hopefully that yeah. helps. Just think of it as a few grand that you just yeah. kind of chuck up to moving costs. Yeah. Should- I think, honestly, we understand the math. I think it's more of a feeling now than it is whether it makes sense monetarily. Yeah. But we had talked about some other options, uh, maybe outline it for folks like a bigger house or location-wise. So what are you currently thinking about now for the housing? We're still pretty narrow in where we're looking. We floated the idea of moving out of the general area, but I don't know, we seem to really like where we live. And so we're going to try that at first. Who knows? I don't know. Our lease is good for another few months, but we'll see if the time comes that we have to move, if we really have to do something. Yeah, the, the key is like finding a landlord that is also an unsophisticated landlord that loves a very stable tenant. And if you can yeah. bamboozle them into a longer lease, that'd be ideal for both you and them. Yeah, I did contact a property manager recently um, in the area that I wanted to live. And I was like, maybe we'll just try out one year at first, but I really am looking for a place I want to stay long term. And she's like, oh yeah, this investor, she had a house for 25 years, sold that, bought this one. And that's what she's planning on doing for the next one. I'm like, oh, that'd be, yeah, that would be perfect. But it's just, we'll see what comes up to buy and what comes up to sell and we're trying to look for the right place to be at least for the next six years. Or- yeah. Yeah. Cause currently you pay how much per month for like- 2,700, which is a great deal. Cause we got one of those landlords. This is a house they bought for their son to move into once he moves back to the area. And we've been waiting for the son to move back for two years now. So yeah. who knows? Maybe we even stay here another year. I don't know. It's probably one of those or forbearing landlords. It's probably <laughs> why the son doesn't want Anywhere near them. They live like five minutes away. So yeah, maybe it's a little too close for the for yeah. the guy to come back. But so when you're looking for that next rental, what is your budget? Thirty two fifty. I think I'm keeping that budget the same for a house payment versus a rental. Um, Dude, jack it up to four grand. Trust me, at the end of the day, you pay four grand for a rental and you invest and it just keeps you on this path of renting that much yeah. longer. It's yeah. going to be better. And, but just for kicks, see what you're getting when you crest up the four grand. Yeah. It's, you're already getting so much of a better deal when you compare what rent is for that buy cost. So yeah, it would be like heads and shoulders above buying. Right. And, and now that you've been doing this for a few years now, you can take some of these profits, the investable funds and start living with it. And yeah. that's the way you start to do it. Cause yeah. I know people like in your shoes, what you'll probably keep doing is keep continuing to live in a kind of like a dingier house rental for 2700 a month for the rest of eternity, right? Yeah. But yeah, try and consciously increase your means, which goes mm-hmm. against everything in the personal finance world. <laughs> That's the whole point of doing this investing stuff. That's why we're doing it. Is that why we're doing it? Dude, I think that's why some people do it, but I thought it was just to rack up money in your bank account so you can look <laughs> at it when you're not doing anything. But yeah, I mean, take it up to four grand. Yeah. And I'm curious what the missus says at that point. Once you start to tour those places or show pictures of it. I mean, it honestly. They don't care. The 
just the fact that she'll have to tell her friends that she's living in a place that costs four grand a month, she won't, she'll, she won't do it based on that principle. Oh, yeah, I know what you're saying. The friends will probably think that she's crazy and your Mike's an idiot. But I tell my wife, yeah, look, don't think about what other people think about you. Life's too short. Yeah, I know. It's hard. Yeah, I know. But that is a big thing because people don't understand it. And they're like, what are you doing? You're just throwing money down the tube. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, so let's talk about this stuff. What do you got going on here? Why do you have so much? <laughs> so that's the thing. It's That was also part of the agreement. Um, oh, it's like the COVID reserves, right? Where the bank makes us. <laughs> this is the wife reserve. That That's my escrow account. <laughs> okay. So the deal was, if I recall, you had to keep liquidity in the bank to be able to put down on a primary residence yeah okay. so that money right there is our emergency fund plus our future down payment man that's a lot of money to just be sitting in escrow you gotta ask the, the bank there to lighten <laughs> a little bit it's been it's been working really well with this arrangement so i don't know if i'm trying to break that arrangement at this point would be a wise decision okay so here's some options right what about other than obviously investing it all surely you've seen some positive effects of this stuff starting to work and it's real mm -hmm. but maybe put a portion of it as prof equity right um, on the yeah. top of the capital stack getting sure. 10 12 percent every month yeah like gotcha. an ahp gotcha uh, I know a lot. What a lot of guys did was they got to refinance their loan on their house, so they did a HELOC and they took a portion of that to and then put in private equity to pay their HELOC on the entire thing as arbitrage. That's the first option. The second option is what do you think of BlockFi and putting money into? I can't understand any of those terms. I've been I've been working trying to understand it with some of those folks in that Facebook group. Maybe I just need to dedicate more time to it but yeah you know. so our mastermind is going to be doing a deep dive into this next month but what i'm advocating for is not really investing in BlockFi or in any cryptos in terms of bitcoin or ethereum have you heard of stable coins yes after yeah reading about it yeah mm -hmm. yeah so for you guys don't know what this is it's my understanding and i don't understand this entirely so go do your own research but stable coins are as the term suggests it's stable but to me like from what i hear from people who do this for what it's worth like most of the cryptos especially ethereum and bitcoin now the institutions are involved in this stuff and it won't go 10x in a couple of years anymore but at least to me i think that's the point where i'm getting more interested in this stuff now big institutions are backing it and they believe in it too which just makes it more stable. But like the stable coins is another level beyond that of stableness. So what you're doing, you're loading money into this website. You don't have to deal with all the annoying USB things. Some people will think that's more security because you own it, but it's no different than you going to E-Trade or whatever stock investing thing where they act as your, but a company like BlockFi, I mean, I've done my research, they're US-based, they're insured, supposedly they're property capitalized. There are, are a bunch of others, but if I were to recommend one over the other, it'd be that one just as a starting point to go research. But for if you put your money in, I think it's GUSD and BlockFi, you're able to make 8.6% on it. Now, if BlockFi goes under, don't com complain. Maybe, I don't know, if, what, I, I don't know, see what like throwing 50 grand into something that feels like. 
think I'd lean more towards doing pref equity versus the BlockFi, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe go a hundred grand in pref equity in this one and the next one. But in the meantime, when you're waiting for the next one, just have 50 grand in BlockFi or something like that. Or yeah. diversify mm -hmm. over different coin bases. Coinbase, Gemini. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get that moving, man. It's a big drag. Yeah, I know. It's a big drag. Or, okay, so here's the other one. Are you doing infinite banking at this point? No, I'm not. I, I just didn't feel like I had the right kind of net worth to be doing. Well, y y your net worth is higher than half a million. So it is a thing for you. Again, if we're talking to the guy who has no money, don't do infinite banking, right? <laughs> Put your earmuffs on. Go focus on making more money or investing in a rental property for now. You guys get shiny object syndrome so much. You gotta be like Mike and do this for a few years and then you can think about doing these things. But this is, even if you're a lower net worth, I would still recommend it to you because you have so much debt equity. You might as well just stick it into insurance product, which is probably the most stable things out there and just let it grow at 5% at least. Yeah. So that's the third option I have for you. Okay. Is just load this into there. And then the next question is how much do you do? What I'm looking at here is you're able to put away maybe 40 grand a year, but you have so much built up in this escrow account that you have, that you got to get it deployed. So you have to build a plan that's six years or five years, and you have to stick to amount. Obviously I wouldn't go more than 40, 50 grand per year. Cause that's all your liquidity. Sometimes I have a, a general rule of thumb of one third of your net, which is in your case, one third of 40 grand. So 10 to 15 a year. Okay. But maybe I might bump that up because you have so much glut in the beginning. So okay. maybe we can connect you with the life insurance guys, but maybe I would go in with how does 20 a year for six years sound? That's the cash load that includes the fees too. That is what you loaded in. The fees is probably going to, you're going to take the haircut that first year for sure, but your money's not doing anything anyway. So <laughs> you might as well load it in there for now. Like you should be able to intellectually talk about this decision to your spouse who is controlling this escrow account for you, because I would make the argument that the life insurance is more secure than any of these things. You shouldn't have more than a hundred grand in here anyway, FDIC, That's but yeah, point. you load it in there. And another thing that we're tinkering on in the mastermind is instead of taking loans from Penn Mutual, the insurance company or whoever insurance company you're using, we're using a third party bank to get an even lower interest rate. So if you mm -hmm. borrow from Penn Mutual at 5%, there's another third party bank that will do give us a, a collateralized loan on the life insurance. So you sign the life insurance to the bank and they're giving us like 3.5%. Or prime minus half a point or something like that. So it's, I think that's better than a HELOC. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff, right? Up there. So I would try and do 20. You know what? If this is not going to go down, I would load it up with 40, 50 grand the first year and try and backdate the first payment so you can load 100 grand in the first year. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And then year two, year three, you're going to have to fund it, you know, for 40. But if you only fund it up to five or 10 grand, it's not the end of the world. It's going to take a lot for it to not cave in. If you understand that kind of that concept. Cave in? What do you mean? Yeah. So caving in is just like non-technical term that I created where it's, you know, you have to commit to a certain amount, right? Every year where if not the dividends, I think the fees start to pay and cannibalize itself, the policy. 
Okay. And I'm not an expert, right? This is why we work with experts to originate these things. But I know from a high level amounts to put in, but how it's designed, just like in taxes, I know how taxes work and you should know how taxes work, but you don't know what forms to do, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, their job. In fact, that's their only job. Their job is not strategy. That's yours. Yeah. It's like how we're doing here. Your job is to figure out how much you're going to put anywhere. And before I have the conversation with the salesman, because the salesman obviously not really aligned with what you want, they're going to probably try and load you up in the longest policy for the biggest amount, mm -hmm. because that's like what lines their pockets with commissions. Okay. But, but yeah, I would just throw in a hundred grand right off the bat. And then you have a 150 grand to get you that in the next few years, and you'll probably be making more money and hopefully the investments keep going well. But at the end of the day, or at the worst case scenario, you bring back how much you put in. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. Initially, when I did my infinite banking policy, I did 50 grand and I did actually the same thing. I backdated the first payment to put in a hundred grand in the first month, one after boom, boom. So then I was supposed to be 50, 50, 50, 50. And then when I was first starting this syndication journey, I spent all my money, I invested it all. So I didn't have that much money. And I was like, oh crap. So I had to go down to the minimum where it wouldn't cave in. And I think it was somewhere between on $50,000 commitment, I could put at least like five or 10 or something like okay. that. You can do that. Or if so not, just take a loan from yourself and pay the premium. So the backdating is like a year zero contribution. Yeah. Talk to your agent on, on how to do that. Okay. But that's for your case, right? Because you have so much dead liquidity right now, not doing anything where most people they don't have that much. Most people have to hundred grand or less, but they might have a higher net, right? Where you're able to put away 40 grand per year. A lot of other people, they might be higher, like 50 to hundred, but that's how I would play this. And it's, as you see, it's about an art form, but should you lower this amount that you have to keep in here as cash reserves, because the boss says do, um, you know, that strategy obviously changes a little bit too, but. Those are the three in that order that I would allocate that stuff. Okay. But as far as investments, you're just on the one or two a year plan. Is that? Yeah, that, that's what I've been able to do. And once I get enough to put into something, it, it goes right in. Yeah. This is not too important, but I know you got kids. The term life insurance, is this through your work or is this additional? The standard insurance is through my work and the Northwest Mutual is my own policy. Okay. If you start doing an infinite banking policy with the whole life, you probably should just, this is redundant. Yeah. I would get, just get rid of that. That'll save you 500 bucks a year. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so if you died a million, $2 million is good. Mm. I think. Yeah. But you still have, is this company like TSP or 403B, 401k stuff? So I did the 401k. I closed that out last year and I have about $20,000 in my Roth that I can take out as straight contributions without paying any penalty. And the other, the lower amounts are my spouse's plans and that's her money. So I haven't pressed her on pulling that up. Yeah. But so this is not 133, it's 20 now then. It's like, I could take out 20 of that without paying a penalty. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like what Vanguard 500 or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. You want some stocks and is that I don't need it. It's more like it's there and I prefer not to touch it because I don't want to pay the fees, but I'm open to eventually taking that all out. I did it with my 401k last year. I'll pay yeah. the taxes on that. Yeah. And luckily, because the wife doesn't work, you're not in a high tax bracket. So you can 
make maneuvers like that. I, I personally don't have any paper assets, but I always just ask you guys and where your head is. That's fine. I've already taken out a good chunk of my Roth contributions along the way over the past four years too. Is this all Roth or? Yeah, it's all Roth. Okay, okay but only 20 grand is contributions. I think, yeah, that's all that's left of contributions. But it's not a self-directed. No, it's a Roth, yeah. I might have a, something for you later. But yeah, any other questions or? What level of, of tax professional should I be seeing? Because my buddy who used to do it, he took a, a real job, so he's not taking clients. And then I've always been wanting to saying that I needed an estate plan and a will. Like, is the Anderson folks who I should be talking to, or is that too much for me? I think they're I think they're cheap for what they do. You definitely don't need like one of the white glove services that are gonna charge you 10, 30 grand to do your taxes. But the trust the state stuff, I think that's separate. But yeah, I can connect you with a couple people on okay. that side. But yeah, that's so that's next on your list of deep to do items. Yeah. So if you guys are listening, if you guys have a you guys don't want that sucks. It's gonna go through probate. Just don't do that. You guys need a trust, especially if you have kids. And yeah, we'll play around with more advanced strategies like irrevocable trust once the net worth gets a little higher. But it can, you know, you get the trust set up because the trust is just essentially instructions to avoid probate. So the state, city, I don't know who gets their hands over the money, but that's just a way of taxing the money in a way. But yeah, that's a good goal. A lot of people in the bubble, that was something that they need to get done. Uh, something that people delay. But yeah, as far as the taxes, you don't have moving off the rental property. So things are getting easier. You just have a bunch of K1s. Yeah. I still don't think you should do it in triple tax, but it shouldn't <laughs> take a genius to do it. And you're educating yourself and you should be able to spot check what they, what anybody does. Yeah. Situation not super complicated, but you should be able to supervise them too. It shouldn't be that different from the last three years. Yeah. I'm curious how much passive losses you have on your 8285 form. Maybe ask your buddy for that. Oh, I was looking at that the other day. Yes. So you guys, this is super important. If you guys don't have an 8582 form, you need to get it from your CPA. Typically they withhold that because they don't want you to run off to another CPA. It's the way they keep them keeping you under their clutches. But, but yeah, that this is what is on your suspended passive loss bucket. So these investments, rental properties, especially past private placements and syndication gives you a glut of passive losses the first year that you may not use to offset your passive income. So it goes on this 8285 form taxes. How do you guys are writing it? Number down, going to go home, control F in your taxes. But it is pretty neat to see those passive losses, that those big numbers. Yeah. How much do you have? Is it I think I'm like at 130. Okay. That was at the end of 2019. Oh yeah. So who knows? Maybe 250, 300 now. Yeah. So yeah, you're seeing that is at this point, it's don't really need to pay taxes if you don't choose to. But before we go, let's talk quickly about real estate professional status because your spouse doesn't work. She's working her ass off. I'm sure I help too much with your kid. Now that I'm working um, from home, I really see how much work it is. Yeah. What about, so we had talked about this, you're trying to get real estate professional status to use the passive losses to potentially offset your ordinary income. Income and capital gains on the sales of the rental property. Yeah. One thing, your guy's tax bracket isn't that high, right? Because you took, you opted for a better quality of life instead of you kicking more butt at work, getting paid more and her working. So you're not in a huge tax bracket. And, I, and if you guys are under 
you know, $330,000 AGI, I wouldn't really freak out too much about getting that real estate professional status taxes. But do you still, have you kind of given up on that? Does it not make sense to you now? Yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense. I'm just trying to get the sheer number of hours to, I don't know, I would have, I would have had her like cold calling people the stuff that we wait to get. Yeah. If you are a doctor, and if only you were a doctor, then it, it makes sense. But you probably wouldn't care. You, probably, you and I probably wouldn't be friends. Probably wouldn't care about this stuff. But cool. Anything else or any uh, other stuff for the folks? Or any no, other? I think it's just interesting to see because we ran through this back when I was starting. I put together my little manifesto of what I was going to do and we had a plan then. And things change along the way, but it's generally going along with what we thought it would be back in 2017. Yeah, and another person who gets over the one, the two comma club. Yay! I'll drink a beer to that tonight. Yeah, yeah. You like expensive beers. <laughs> That's what the movers aren't taking. I'm taking my boxes of beer in my own car. But but yeah, congratulations moving into the world of accredited status. And I think you can agree that it doesn't feel much different. It really doesn't, but I'm happy to make it. Yeah, now we got to get you to four and a half million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like graduating high school. So you go to your nephew's high school graduation and you're like yeah man that's nothing like maybe i might come to your college graduation or when i actually do something in life but yeah that's what getting to accredited status is all about that's that's true that is true but yeah thanks for listening guys if you guys like this sign up for the investor club simple slash club stuff really works real and uh, yeah thanks for listening This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.